Wendy's Frosty Chino is cold brew with frosty creamer. What does that mean? It means we took rich, smooth, cold brew and then added your choice of vanilla or chocolate frosty creamer. Can you say good morning? Or better yet, Wendy's Frosty Chino? It's cold brew with frosty creamer, it's only at Wendy's, and it's delicious. So ditch the stuffy coffee shop and say hasta la vista, barista. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Frosty Chino and start your morning right. At participating U.S. Wendy's. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast uh, continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners and sales professionals. Uh, We are enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. And while I am tremendously honored about that, I also understand that it's because of the guests. Um, These are folks who have expertise in uh, certain areas of business and they give of their time and their knowledge to join me in a conversation so that all of you can find the answers that you need and want to do better things in your business. Today, my guest is Mike Adams. Engineer turned salesman, Mike taught himself storytelling while selling and managing sales teams throughout the world for international corporations, Schlumberger, Siemens, Nokia, and Halliburton. With each industry change landing him on the wrong side of a steep learning curve, Mike learned to seek out and share specific, persuasive stories. Now he finds stories and teaches storytelling for a consulting client base as diverse and international as his own sales career. Mike is also the author of Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. Thanks, Diane, and welcome to your viewers from a little bit of a cold Melbourne Australian morning today. Yeah, I'm so sorry. It's cold where I am. It's like really hot, um, <laughs> and what and which will not last because we're heading into fall and winter. So, um, you know, exactly. what are you going to yeah. do? Right, right. Yes. So, so explain to the listeners why 
salespeople must tell stories? Sure. Well, uh, storytelling is a bit of a hot topic these days, but uh, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, you said I was engineer turned salesperson, Diane. I had no intention of being a salesperson. I was uh, given the opportunity to move to Norway, but the, the hook was I had to be a salesperson. So that was my dilemma more than 20, <laughs> 20 years ago. My wife was eight months pregnant at the time, by the way. Oh, so. my goodness. <laughs> So I, I was the reluctant salesperson uh, more than 20 years ago, going to Norway and, and learning that craft uh, as someone who is, um, you know, a technical person really, and so, someone who pretty much considered sales a, a black, untrustworthy art. And um, <laughs> and I had the uh, incredible good fortune, Diane, of landing the biggest deal in our division worldwide from Norway as a rookie salesperson, and it was all absolute luck. I uh, just happened to meet what the, the, uh, the CEB folks would call a mobilizer, someone that, uh, that decided that, you know, his company needed my software <laughs> and sold it. Nice. So, so that was nice. But of course, I thought I was good. You know, that's, that's a big problem with salespeople. The, the buyer buys and you think you're good. And, and I certainly wasn't good. Uh, I was extremely poor at the job but I was working for a company that was uh, that was Schlumberger and a company that really provides excellent sales training and I and I found that I enjoyed it and and I ended up running sales teams in Russia and uh, uh, all around Europe and I had lived already in Asia and so um, so you know I was starting to, to hit my straps and and then when I had to come back to Australia there was no oil and gas industry here in Melbourne so I really needed to sort of configure my CV and, and sales was the, was the transferable skill. And uh, I landed a job selling telecommunications equipment to our big local telecommunications carrier, sort of like the equivalent of the AT&T in the US. And, um, and it sold products that I had no idea what they were or into an industry I didn't understand to a client that I didn't know. Um, and it was storytelling that got me that job. I'd already pretty much figured out that telling stories were was the way to persuade, even though I wasn't that conscious of the types of stories I was telling at that time. Uh, that was back in the early 2000s. And, and since then, I, I changed industries four more times. And so I've been in that situation where I don't really know my products and services. I don't know the company I'm with that well yet. I certainly don't know my client. And I learned to seek out certain types of stories, Diane. And that was kind of when I started to figure that there's a method there. And I learned, started to notice who tells stories. And what I noticed was that very often the founders or the, the CEOs of companies are good storytellers and almost inevitably the best salespeople are good storytellers, but they're somewhat unconscious at that skill. And the rest of the company generally wasn't and the rest of the sales team generally wasn't. I set up consulting in B2B sales about four years ago. And I'd done very well. Yeah, I sold more than a billion dollars worth of stuff. So I'd done very well. I wasn't really setting myself up to make a lot of money or to found a business, but I was, I'm an engineer still. And I was very curious about the problem of how do you help salespeople say the right thing? Because my recurring experience as a sales leader, and I was running teams up to over a hundred salespeople throughout Asia uh, for these different companies I was working with. 
the recurring experience was that I would come in as the, you know, the, the foreign expert or the foreign business leader, go with salespeople to whoever was the, the biggest opportunity at the time and meet senior leaders. The, the salespeople were using me as their opportunity to meet higher in the organization. And yeah, so I was meeting uh, higher in their organization, helping them to progress their sale. And they were just routinely saying the wrong thing. They were, they were leading with our products and services before properly establishing rapport. They were not presenting our company well enough. And, you know, that, so I was thinking like how to solve that problem. And I, I started with a variety of things. I, I was fortunate to work with quite a few different sales teams early on. And I taught questioning skills and all the classic sales training things. And, and because I'm someone who likes to know what the impact of the work I do is, I would contact back to those sales teams three to six months later. I would find that they had forgotten everything I taught them. And it's really disappointing. You know, in my entire career of working, I'd never felt that I'm not achieving anything. You know, I'm putting all my intellectual effort into this, trying to work with these sales teams. They seem to enjoy what I do. They're responsive. But six months later, they've forgotten everything. And, um, and that's pretty rough, actually. That's quite tough to accept. But, but I was telling stories and, I, and they were telling me stories back. So they were remembering the stories that I told because I've got a lot of stories. And so, um, so I, that, that sort of tweaked with me. Okay, the storytelling is working. So can I get them telling the right stories? And the first one is, is such an obvious story. It's the story of their company. Can they tell the story of their company? And they couldn't, and they couldn't. And then I found that actually most companies are not that good at even researching or knowing their company story. So I would get involved in just searching their company records and talking to their company founder if the founder wasn't working in the company anymore or, or talking with the founders. And that was always an engaging story because if you think about it, most companies fail. Uh, the majority of companies fail. So why did your company succeed? If you succeeded to the level of having a sales team, you, you must have done something right. So what was it and how did that start and how did you nearly fail? And these are always interesting stories. I've never heard a company story that isn't interesting. And then can they tell their personal story? I've, I've given you just a little smattering of mine. Uh, uh, I appreciate we don't have a huge amount of time, but teaching them how to tell their personal story is such a fabulous thing because if they can get it down to a couple of minutes, they have an opportunity of saying, well, enough about me, what about you? And that's really where rapport starts. So that's a, a potted history of my journey, Diane, of you know, why salespeople should tell stories. Well, they should tell stories because the best salespeople do and the best leaders do, and it's a skill that's incredibly useful to have. Um, but it also happens to be the language of the human brain. It's our, we think in stories, we learn in stories. It's, it's how our brain is organized. And, and it's actually our neocortex. We want to know what's happening next. We want to be able to predict what's happening in our environment. And because stories are sequences of events that are unpredictable, we pay attention. That, that's why we love stories. Whenever the story is predictable, uh, we stop listening. We, we, stop, we, we start to, to rove around with our minds to find something that's unpredictable because that's the way we're built. So there you go, a bit of a rambling answer on why stories, Diane, but yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, 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 I mean, um, I get it. I, 
didn't realize that that's how our brains. Yeah, um, shall I talk a little bit more about that? That's um, there's so much. Yeah. So when I said about writing the book, Diane, um, I wanted to include technically why stories are powerful and why do they work? Because that's an interesting question, and you know, engineer again. So uh, we want to know how. We're not. We want to know how in deep detail. And um, I had always had an interest in artificial intelligence. So before I was a salesperson, that, you know, more than 20 years ago, before I went to Norway, I was in the UK. And my job was classifying rocks. I was what's called a petrophysicist in the oil and gas industry. And so, uh, and I had actually started playing around with a thing called neural networks, you know, neural networks in the mid 90s. And that was a brand new thing that really didn't work at that time. Now today, neural networks and artificial intelligence, artificial neural networks are the, th the thing, right? Because now they're yeah. now, now right. computing power has got big enough. But I've always been interested in that. I've always been interested in how our brain works for more than 20 years ago. And I, I kept touch with a couple of software projects that were trying to mimic how the human brain works, not the whole brain, the neocortex. The neocortex is three quarters of our brain. It's the big wrinkly bit on the outside of our brain. And that part of our brain, we, we now know, but it's not generally understood, is a memory prediction organ. What it does is it, it memorizes patterns in our environment. And those are you know, things that we see and hear and feel and touch, but also our internal environment, our internal body environment, which is our heart rate and our sense of arousal and, and uh, our gut. It takes all of that input information that tries to predict what's going to happen next. So, you know, you're doing that continuously all the time and you don't know you're doing it. And you think that what you look at is what's actually out there in the environment. But most of what you're looking at is actually a prediction of what you're going to see. Uh, in fact, what comes through our eyes is a, is a really bad image. We don't see a bad image and we don't see a jittery upside down little circle image. We see a beautiful big picture of the world and that's a prediction. And as long as what we see is what we expect to see, we hardly pay attention. But the instant there's something going wrong in our vision or, our, or what we hear or what we feel inside our body, we absolutely pay attention. And hmm. so you can think of stories as high-level sequences where our brain is trying to predict what's going to happen next. And that's why stories have to have surprise and unpredictability in them, or we stop paying attention. But on the flip side, that's why stories are so interesting because we know that good stories are going to be unpredictable and we stop and listen to stories like almost nothing else. Uh, and, mm. and that's very interesting thing to know in a business meeting. So if you know that, and if you know that whenever you're being predictable in a business meeting, whenever you're saying our company is the leading whatever, and we're based in these five cities and all the things that your competitors say, your clients are switching off because they've heard it yeah. all before and they can predict it. But if you start to say, look, we founded our company three years ago, we thought there was an opportunity here and we've nearly failed. They're listening because they don't know what the answer is. They don't know how to predict that story. They've never heard it mm. before. So that's, you know, that's why stories are really so powerful, Diane, that they, they force us to listen. We love to listen to stories because it's how we expand our world. We learn to expand our, our model of the world in our brain by 
focusing on things that are unpredictable and interesting and then absorbing them into our, into our brain, into our world. That's wild. Yeah, okay. and not many people know that. You know, most people, when they write about the science of storytelling, they want to talk what I call pop psychology. They want to talk about the amygdala and, and uh, you know, how we love emotion and all that kind of stuff. But really, really, it's, it's more basic than that. And, and most of the time in business meetings, we're, we're not actually that aroused. We're not in that emotional fight or flight kind of situation. We're just sitting there trying to predict what's going to happen next. And we're trying to predict, is there an opportunity for our company in this situation? So we're using our neocortex. We're not really engaging our, um, our more basic parts of our brain, our, our old brain. Having said that, um, one of the things that we absolutely are predicting all the time when we have a business conversation is how are they feeling? When I'm saying this, how are you feeling and what are you thinking? And if I go and say this next thing, how will I feel internally? What will be my internal body state and how will it make you feel? And good salespeople and, and good human communicators are constantly doing that. And that's another thing that our neocortex does for free. So people think that their emotions are seated in that old part of the brain, the amygdala and the, you know, the, the brainstem, but actually the emotions are things that we create in our neocortex exactly the same as we create concepts of color or chair or, or anything else. We learn the emotions as, as children and then as we grow up and we learn to be uh, sensitive to different emotions in just the same way that we learn any technical skill. Hmm. Okay. So <laughs> it's so interesting, but I guess my question is how hard is it to learn storytelling? Sure. I think that we mostly are pretty good at, I think most people are pretty good at storytelling in social context. Uh, so when we meet our friends or when we're in a casual situation at a party or whatever, most of us default to telling stories and most of us are pretty engaging with those stories. So I think uh, the better question might be, you know, how hard is it to learn business storytelling? Yeah. So I, say, I say there are five things that you must have in a business story. The first is it must be a sequence of related events. You must be talking about something that happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened because if, you're not, if it's not a sequence of events, it's not a story. You, you're not setting up that situation where the other person is trying to predict what's going to happen next because you've broken the fundamental rule of storytelling. You're not telling a sequence of events. So that's thing number one, tell a sequence of events, tell, talk about something that happened, right? The second thing is people won't know you're telling them a story if you don't trigger it the right way to start. The classic in fairy tales is once upon a time. That, that tells children that a story is starting. In a business story, we signal that a story is starting with a setting, and the setting is almost always a time marker and or a place marker. You know, in 1996, when I was working in England, I had this opportunity to go to Norway. Uh, that time marker and place marker telling you that it's something that happened in time and in a place as well is, is even better. It signals that a story is starting, but it also helps a lot with memorability of your story because 
time and place. We have special places in our brain for, for remembering time and place, particularly place, actually. We, we have special place, place marker, understanding geometry of place. So if we can set our story in a time and a place, we make it more memorable and we signal that it's starting. So that's the second point. The third point is the vast majority of stories revolve around a central character. Now, if you're telling a story about something happened to you, you, you are the central character, so it's easy. But if you're telling, say, a success story about one of your clients, you need to make the story around them. And, and why? Because we are absolutely fascinated by people and, and even our stories of our inanimate stories, we usually humanize. If you think of Finding Nemo or Shrek or any of those, you know, very popular movies, they have animal characters, but they're, they're like human characters, right? Mm -hmm. The fourth thing is that uh, it has to be unpredictable. There has to be a surprise or a twist where your story is just boring. So we, we want to find good stories and that's what I work with my clients. So I, I'm happy if I find three really good stories for a company because they're, they're reusable collateral, right? Everyone can use them. You've got many clients, so you can use them all the time. So we need to find the best stories that are unpredictable. And the final thing, which is really what the book is all about, is that the story has to make a business point. You're wasting people's time. You know, the higher you get up in business, the more you sell, uh, you know, at sea level. People are, are stretched for time. The instant it looks like you're wasting their time, you're out of there, right? You've lost them. So right. your story has to be to the point. And, and what I've done with Seven Stories is, is structured the book to explain what story to tell when, and I've used the buyer's journey. So I've, I've, I've taken the buyer's journey of the problem of connecting, the problem of differentiating, and the problem of closing the deal. And I've used a fishing metaphor to, to weave that through. So connecting is the hook. I, I, to, I, I'm not a fisherman, Diane, actually, but about a year ago, yeah, a little bit more than a year ago, I, I thought it would be cool to put fish in our swimming pool at home here. Uh, <laughs> so I bought 20 uh, rainbow trout. They're called fingerlings, this tiny little rainbow trout, and put them in the pool. My wife was not at all sure about this. And um, it's really interesting. And, and we've got a pretty big pool. So, uh, so they're gold, golden and um, river trout, grey river trout. And my idea was we we're going to fish them out. I was going to invite friends around six months later and fish them out of the pool, you know, for a party. So that was the plan. And, um, and uh, the pool went green, you know, and then it went this horrible black color. And I got, quickly got on the internet and found out what kind of bacteria I need. So I bought all this bacteria and the fish were going great. So I go out every morning and every evening and feed these fish and they're jumping out of the water and our dog would go crazy. Really good fun. And then they all started floating upside down and I had neglected the, uh, the water. As, as they got bigger, you have to be more careful with the bacteria. And I had to fish them all out. You know, we didn't really feel like even eating them because they had bacteria all through their gills and um, that was a failure. And it took me three months to clean the pool. But at the time I was thinking fish, right? So I used a fishing metaphor for the book. So the good news of that story is uh, my readers got a fishing metaphor. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, you, so it starts with, it actually starts with your hook, baiting the hook, your lure. So the first part of seven stories is the lure. And that's what is a story? How do you make a story? 
um, you know, what's the technique you do exactly? That's the engineer in me, right? And then the next part is called hook. And that is the first three stories. They are your personal story, your company story, and the story, I call this a key staff story, the story about the important people in your company that your future client is going to interact with. So salespeople, you know, they often, they close the deal and they move to the next deal, right? So who's the next person your client needs to trust? A lot of salespeople struggle with that. They, they can't break away on the deployment side of the deal. They get sucked into all of the customer support issues. And, and I had that problem actually when I was, because I'm an engineer and I knew the product very well. And it's, it's easy to get sucked into uh, helping the client after you sell. But the problem is you're not doing your job as a salesperson, someone, as someone else's job. And if you learn to tell the story of that someone else, your client trusts them before they even meet them. And it just solves that problem in a snap, right? You, 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 you have the client trusting your support manager or, the, or whoever, you know, the, the deployment department, and you go off and do your job, which is selling. So that's a really important story. Yeah. So those are the first three stories. Your personal story is designed to be diverse, not bragging. You, know, you want to talk about the vulnerable things that have happened to you. I, I told you that I was actually very lucky in my first, first uh, year as a salesperson. I'm not bragging about how great I was because no one wants to hear that story. But the purpose of my personal story is to say, look, I have a couple of purposes. I want you to know that I know what I'm talking about. I would like you to like me a little bit, but I really want to be able to say, enough about me, what about you? Tell me about you because I want to hear their story. And I have this theory. My theory, Diane, is that the, the start of friendship is the exchange of personal stories. I think we start to be friends when we know the other person's story. And in business, we need to be friends with our clients. We, we need them to trust us and we need to trust them. And so that's such an important aspect to rapport, to connecting. Okay, so we've hooked our fish. Okay, wait. Tell us you've got a question. Good. Don't just don't let me talk. Uh, but no, no, no. I, I'm going to take a sponsor break because I need to take one right now, but because then I want you to be able to get into the Good. other part. This Thanks. so far I get, but I know there's going to be, I'm, I'm going to want to understand a little bit more. So Good. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell by our current guest, Mike Adams, and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Field. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. As I mentioned, today we are speaking with Mike Adams about the seven stories every salesperson must tell. And Mike, um, when we went on the sponsor break, you had um, just finished uh, talking about the hook stories, and I believe we're heading into the fight stories. Correct. And okay. I was and I was listening to your Audible, and I have to tell your, your listeners, and this, hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, it'll be up and running, but I'm currently recording my audio 
audible book. So, excellent. Um, Diane, we've hooked our client. It's so important that we make that personal connection and the connection of our company because most salespeople don't do that. That puts us in a big advantage. Our client now, they know us and they start to trust us because they've heard about us personally and they've had a chance to tell us about them personally. So we've, we've got a connection, but that doesn't mean we're gonna do any business, obviously. The next thing we have to do is we have to fight for mind share against our competitors and usually more importantly against the the decision that most business people make which is to do nothing yeah. so how do we how do we position our idea with our client we've got this meeting for a reason so how do we do that and i look at that in one of two ways either we have done something for another client that's like them that was valuable that we can talk about in a story or we've got a business idea that's new and interesting that they haven't heard about that they need to know. And I don't think there's another business reason to be talking. I think those are the two situations and there are two stories to get you through that. The first is a success story. So that's the story of someone else like them that succeeded. And the second is an insight story. That's the story about something you know about their business that they don't appreciate, but they would profitably, they would profit from knowing about it. So that's a success story and an insight story. Uh, we'll start with a success story. So most okay. companies are in business and they have had some success. So they should be able to talk about the success they've had, but to talk about it as a narrative, as a story, you need to make a switch in your mind. You need to stop talking about yourself and start talking about your successful client. And a lot of people struggle with that. It's, it's not easy to, to tell the story from the perspective of the other person. <clears throat> and there's, there's a lot written about this. You can, you can read about story models and the like, but I, I break it into six parts. So, the, the, the basic story that I tell about myself has four parts. So the story that I would have used when I was telling you about telling my personal story or telling about my CEO or the person that's going to help them now support staff, that story has four parts and it is a setting, a time and a place, something happened somewhere, something that happened that turned out to be unexpected and some unexpected thing, and then a resolution to that unexpected thing, and then make a point. So there's four parts. But the story of someone else's success should have six parts. And that is a setting that they are in. So you know, I'm going to talk about another client who was in this situation. What was that situation? And then I'm going to talk about them having a problem, an issue. What what situation did they get themselves into? And then they met a guide, which was me or our company. They met our guide. How did they meet? And the guide gave them a plan. What was the plan? And they avoided failure. What was the failure that they could have got into and they could have, uh, but they avoided because they had a guide with them and then they achieved success. So that's six parts. My client setting. So I'm telling the story now from their point and I'm not the hero of this story. My client is and that's the thing that people have difficulty with they have difficulty placing 
their client as the hero of the story. But if you put your client as the hero of the story, your new client, your prospective client, can really understand it. And they love to hear the story of other people like them. They don't particularly like to hear the story of vendors. So that's a success story. So uh, I'll tell can you the next Can you give story. me an example of, well, can you give me an example of an insight story? Because I thought what I heard you say was, that you know something about their industry that would be valuable for them, but they don't necessarily appreciate the impact of it or yes. are aware of it. Okay. Yeah, so, so the, the, the six steps I gave you was the success story, right? So that little story I'm telling from the perspective of a client that I've helped. The insight story is the story of something that you know that they don't know. And there's been books written about this and, and the, 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 the classic books are the, you know, the challenger books, like the challenger sale and the challenger customer. And those books, they're great books, but they have a fundamental problem. And this is the problem. If I tell you that I know something that you don't know about your business, why should you, why should you believe me? Yeah. I mean, who am I to know more about your business? How arrogant. And, and that is what I see that salespeople really struggle with. They do know something that their client needs to know, but how do I get that across without sounding arrogant? And the answer is the insight story. Because if you tell the story about how you discovered that insight, you're taking your client on the same journey. So you're saying, look, I used to be like you, I didn't understand this thing. And then we had this lucky fortuitous discovery and this is what happened. Now, that might have been a discovery in your research department, or it might have been a, a discovery about how your client could do things better. But you're taking them on the story journey of how you discovered that insight. And that is a, a, a non-threatening, very interesting thing for your, your future client to hear. Um, and most people don't understand that about insight. Almost every company, they think they have insight. Well, maybe they do, but they really don't have insight if they can persuade their client to understand it. And the way to do it is just take them on that journey. Um, so uh, I will give you an example from the Seven Stories book, if you like, because it's quite short. Sure, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Great. So um, back, back before the, the 1990s, uh, it used to be thought that stomach ulcers were caused by stress. And uh, there was an Australian... A scientist working actually out of Western Australia called Barry Marshall, who had an alternate theory. He, he had the view that, that, that stomach ulcers were actually caused by a bacteria in the stomach. And that idea was, was, was not accepted by the medical establishment at all um, because it was thought that bacteria couldn't live in the stomach. There was too much acid in the stomach and bacteria couldn't live there. And he... Um, he, he just couldn't get his idea across. He was absolutely failing to, to get his idea across. And then he had the rather brave idea to, to create a culture of this particular bacteria, which is called H. pylori, by the way, um, and drink it and then treat himself with antibiotics. So give himself stomach ulcers and treat himself with antibiotics and prove that it was actually a bacteria that causes stomach ulcers. Well, that's an extreme, <laughs> that's a bit of an extreme thought, right? But, uh, but he, he did it, and of course, he became very, very well known as the idiot that drank uh, bacteria and treated himself for, uh, for H. pylori. But he absolutely persuaded the medical establishment that, um, 
that that was the cause of stomach ulcers and he won the Nobel Prize. Um, wow. Yeah, so that is, and that's an insight story, right? That's a, that's a story that, 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 that takes your listener on the journey of not understanding the insight and then learning the insight and appreciating the insight. Now, that's an extreme example because this, the storyteller made themselves the, 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 the guinea pig, right? The, the laboratory yeah, right, guinea pig. Right. right? But, it's, but it's a beautiful example because it, it actually takes your client on the journey to understanding the insight. And because it's an interesting story, and that's what stories have to be, they have to be unpredictable, your client will listen. Whereas if your story is you don't understand your business, Mr. Client, which is how most people fail with challenger type mm -hmm. conversations, you're on a pretty bad start. Um, yeah. So the insight story is my favorite story type. And if you can find, if you have true insight, if you truly know something about your client's business that they don't appreciate but need to know, if you can tell the story about how you found that insight, how you got there, they'll listen and they'll, they'll accept it. They won't push back. So it's, it's a fab, fabulous story to have. Seek out insight stories because these are highly, highly persuasive. Does that, that answer? So, yes, it does. I appreciate it. I, I think this is so interesting. I hadn't heard of this idea before. So it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I get it. Thank you. So, yeah. so most people that do understand. The next one. Yeah. So I talked about success stories and the story, the success story is the story of someone else like your client that succeeded with your products and services, right? So that's a more obvious right. story. Now, right. the way most people fail at that story is they tell the story of their own success. That's not so interesting. You've got to turn, you've got to flip that story around and tell the story of the other person, your client that succeeded. That's the hard part of that story. But the inside story is, is not so difficult. You just need to find that story. You need to be more curious. So when, when your company say, here's the, uh, the PowerPoint pack of this product you're gonna go and sell, rather than go and sell, this is how great it is for these benefits. You need to go and find the story of how do, how do we actually figure out this thing? How do we get that insight and tell that story? And most companies don't prepare their insight stories. And that's what I explain in the book. And that's what I teach in the, in the seven stories book. Okay, so we've had five stories so far, Diane. They are three stories to connect your personal story, story, I call it a key staff story, story about important people in your organization that you need to hand over to, that your client needs to know about, and your company, your company story. Those are the hook stories that hooks our client. We're fishing, right? Now we're fighting, we're differentiating, we're fighting in the marketplace. So we've got this fish on the hook, it's jumping out of the water, we're fighting, and we're using success stories. That story is about people like them that succeeded with you. And insight stories, that's information they need to have that you know that they don't appreciate that will really help them in their business. And you need to tell that as a story because otherwise you sound like an arrogant person that knows their business better than they do. That never goes well. And that is the issue with the challenger books, by the way, Diane. If you read challenger and you think you can just go and challenge your client, you're highly mistaken. Your client knows more about their business than you ever will. And if yeah. you have that approach, 
you're bound to fail. But if you tell the story about how you learned something interesting, they will listen and they will take it on board. It's a critically important clue to, to that style of selling, which has been my style of selling. That's the, I, my business career, Diane, has been mostly about selling something that's never been sold before, that's very expensive in the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And you have to find those insight stories. I love those stories. Okay, we haven't sold anything yet. We haven't closed the deal. We haven't landed the fish. <laughs> so we have two more stories. Now okay. your, your client has appreciated that you have insight. They appreciate that other clients have succeeded with you. They like you because they've heard your story and they've told their story. So well, that's all good, but they still need to make an important decision. They need to have, make a risk. They need to... They need to decide to spend money with you. And what is it that will get them across the line? Now, most people don't do much. Most salespeople, they'll submit a proposal or a tender and then they, they hope that, that they're going to win the business. But there are stories that will do work for you. And there are two stories. One is what I call a value story. The value story is the story that tells your client how your company is going to behave if things go wrong. Because... Once you move into the decision phase of a particularly big deals, and I've been working mainly with really big deals, your client starts to think about all the things that can go wrong. And they get into this thing called a stakeholder meeting, which has five, 10, 20 people. And nine out of those 10 people are thinking about what's going to go wrong. And only one, probably your sponsor, is trying to make it happen. And you need to help your sponsor make it happen. And you need to help them with stories that will answer that question, is it going to work? What happens if it goes wrong? And I would love to give you an example. Okay, great. So I spent a few years working for the big German multinational company, Siemens. It's a fantastic company. And before that I worked for Siemens, I'd worked in the oil and gas industry for Schlumberger. And Schlumberger just dominates its industry in oil services. They are the technical leaders everywhere. They're, they're brilliant. And it's an easy company to sell for because they have the best products and services. Now, Siemens, I got there, was like a bit different than very highly competitive telecoms industry. And I couldn't really figure out why they won business half the time. They seem to be about the third best product. And um, there were 10 competitors that all looked brilliant. And it was like, well, how does this company even survive, you know? And then I started to hear and notice some stories. In fact, I, the first time I noticed, I was actually in the, the country CEO's office and he took a phone call while I was talking to him. And Siemens is a, is a conglomerate, right? They're in all sorts of businesses. And uh, I was in telecommunications, but he was across the whole business. And um, Siemens was providing the, uh, what are, they're called inverter transformers for a, a subsea telecom, uh, subsea, uh, electrical cable that was going to join Tasmania, which is where I'm from, to Australia. It's 400 kilometres of open ocean, and this cable goes under the water on the seabed. And Siemens was providing the inverter transformers, which are massive pieces of equipment. And they were being built in Germany, and they were, they were coming to Australia by boat. And the, the ship that was carrying these six transformers uh, hit a storm in the, in the Great Australian Bight in the Southern Ocean, broke its rudder, and all six of the transformers were smashed uh, beyond, beyond repair. Oh. And I was, actually, 
And I was actually in Albert's, uh, their CEO's office, and he took the call, right? And I could see the blood go from his face wow. and his animated conversation. And, uh, and, uh, and we got off the call and he's like, man, you know, this, it took 18 months to build these things, right? And, um, and so he's back on the phone and it was, we're in Australia and it was obviously early morning in Germany and he's calling everyone in Germany, like the CEO of Siemens, which is a hundred thousand person organization. And they're having this animated conversation in German. And, and because I was there, I followed the story. Well, the, the normal thing that happens in a big business situation when you get that kind of failure is everyone goes to their lawyers, right? So whose fault is this? You know, is it, I'm like, who am I suing? Is it the ship owner? Is it the rudder manufacturer? What is it? But Albert's like, we, we need to build six transformers in four months instead of 18 months, right? And um, we, we have time for the legalities. And that's what they did. They, they built six transformers in record time. And the project actually hit its delivery target. The cable and everything hit its delivery target. Now, that is a story. Okay. Now, that is, uh, I call it a, a values story, right? How would your company behave when things go wrong? Right? Because now I'm yeah. trying to make a decision. I, I, I'm, I've got 10 people and someone says, is Simmons, are they, they going to deliver? Are they going to deliver on this project? And your sponsor who has heard that story goes, are you kidding? These guys are unbelievable. Right, and he may not even tell the story, or she, she may not even tell that story that you told them, but they are absolutely convinced that you are gonna deliver the project. So yeah. the, values, the values story is a fabulous story for getting the deal across the line. Now your company value might not be like Siemens. The value of Siemens is solid German engineering. If it doesn't work, 100 Germans are gonna be right there fixing the thing, right? And, and that's, that's an incredible value, right? Siemens, not, an, not a marketing kind of company at all. I couldn't understand how they sold anything when I joined them. I did, the marketing pack was 150 slides I couldn't understand. But these stories were everywhere. You know, the stories of clients that got out of a big, big hole because this is a company that can get stuff done. They were everywhere. And I just love those stories. So that's the value story. That's story okay. number six. Now, your value might be something different. Your value might be absolute lowest price or rapid delivery or something, but you need to find the story that proves that point. And you need to tell it at this time when you're trying to close the deal because at the deal closing time, your client is not thinking about the benefits so much. They're thinking about what can go wrong. And you've got to help them with stories. And you're not there. So I say that stories do work for you even when you're not there, right? You've told that story and it gets told and retold and it's doing work for you and you're not even there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The last story to help close a deal is the teaching story. And this is really the sales manager's story. So how do deals go wrong? What are all the ways that clients can fail to make a decision? And there are many. And if you can find a story that teaches your sponsor, the person that would like to buy your services, how to get around those issues to unstick a deal, that is gold. 
And these are the stories that the very best salespeople and the very best sales managers have. And they use them to coach their salespeople, but their salespeople can coach their clients with these stories. And if we have time, I'll give you a short one. Okay, we have great. To, yeah. yeah. So I was working on a project when I was in, in Siemens, actually, in telecommunications. Um, we were selling a music download system before there was an Apple iTunes. So this is more than 10 years ago, uh, but it was just starting to be popular, but the, you know, the technology wasn't that good at that stage. And, and, and I was working with a, a media company and big company, and they were very interested in our technology. It had been developed overseas and we had worked collaboratively with them. And it was going to be a, a profit share. We were going to share the revenue a revenue share model. And we got to the final contract negotiation and we all wheeled in and there was like 10 people from the client side that I knew well by the stage and about 10 people from our side. It was a pretty big deal. And then came this negotiator guy that we'd never met and he sat at the head of this long table and he proceeded to pull our deal to pieces. He demanded the price be one-tenth of our price. He demanded that we have five nines reliability instead of four nines. And it was like just blood on the street. It was awful. And I'm looking at my friends from the client side that we'd sort of developed the whole project with and they couldn't believe it either. And, and I just remember walking back thinking, right, well, this great deal is just not going to happen because this guy is impossible. And I got back to our office and one of my colleagues, a very experienced sales guy, I think he could see that I was looking pretty down and, it, and he asked me what had happened. I said, well, you know, it's impossible. We, there's no way we can close this deal because the guy wants this and that, you know, and it won't even work like that. And he had a very simple suggestion. He said, Mike, ring him up and have a chat with him. Hmm. And I hadn't even thought of doing that. You know, this is the head negotiator yeah. of a big corporation and I did. And I went around and I talked with him for two hours. The guy didn't have a clue about the project that he was in. And we got back into the next meeting and he did not change his character one bit. He was absolutely ruthless guy. And he skirted around every non-negotiable issue that I told him and we got the deal done. Wow. That's crazy. That's, that is a teaching story that will yeah. help get a deal done because you, I can use that story. I can use that story to help salespeople and people who understand that can get deals done, right? And that is that the type of story that you need to know when you get close to trying to close, particularly big deals. So those are the seven stories, Diane, the three stories to hook. We're kind of trying to, trying to catch a fish here. We're, 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 gonna, we're not gonna hurt the fish, right? You know, just if you're worried about the fish, but we're trying to, we're trying to, 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 to get attention first. We do that with personal stories, our own personal story. And, and the point of the personal story is to say, we're not enough about me, what about you? And get their personal story because that's the start of rapport. Telling the stories of our key staff, people that they need to trust so that the salesperson can leave, they can get away into the next deal and, and the client will happily talk with the next person in your organization, the key staff story, your company story so that they, they know and trust your company, which I haven't talked much about today. And then the stories that we use to fight. We've got the fish on the hook and we're fighting and that's the success story, which we have to tell from the perspective of our successful client, not ourselves. And the insight story, which is something we know that our client doesn't appreciate, but we 
can't tell them that because it sounds arrogant. So we have to tell them the story of how we learnt that insight and then they'll come along for the ride. And then to get the deal closed, to land the fish, we need to, to teach our client um, with a teaching story about how to unstick the deal. And that was my example of the tough negotiator. And we need to, to teach them our values. What happens if things go wrong? What will we, what will we be like as, a, as a, a vendor once they've decided to go with us? And that's the value story. And I gave you the example of the, the, the transformers that got smashed on the ship and, and Siemens building them in record time. That it is so great. And I, Seven and stories. It, it's really, it, it is really terrific. And I so appreciate you sharing that and giving examples and telling stories about it because it really brings it home for people. And I, and I, there is so much more that you could be talking about, but we are coming up on our time. So what I, I would rather really do, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would rather do is have you share with the listeners how they can get your book and how they can get in touch with you and anything you've got going on. So you can continue the conversation with them after this airs. Absolutely. Look, that's great. Look, I'm absolutely delighted with the response the books the book's getting. People, people seem to enjoy reading the book. You know, that is job one when you write a book. Can you get people to, to actually read the book? <laughs> um, so people enjoy the book because it's full of stories and you don't have to read it from start to end. You can dip in. Uh, you can dip into the problem you have, which might be connecting or it might be differentiating your products and services or it might be closing the deal. So you can you can dip into it and you can read stories that help you with any part of your problem. Um, so you can get the book on online, on Amazon and on many other online book uh, repositories. If you go to my website, which is, uh, I have a website for the book, www.my7stories.com. Um, you can order a signed copy of the book as well. And I'll be happy to, to send you one. I can send them anywhere in the world. Uh, so you can do that on, on the link there. Uh, it's available as, um, as Kindle. It will hopefully by the time your, your listeners um, hear this be available as an audible as well. And I'm getting some characters from the stories to tell their story in the audible version. So it'll be a bit of a different audible version, Diane. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, I, I figured if I'm going to do an audible, you might as well hear the people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 That, that's awesome. Okay, great. Thank you. As I said, thank you so much. I, I know this was really valuable. Um, it, one of the things that I especially like about it is that it gives people a whole other way of looking at sales um, from some of the, you know, other, um, ideas that are out there, which, which I think is tremendously valuable. So thank you and love to thank the listeners. You folks are why we're here as well as our sponsor. If you would like to get a free trial of audible.com and a free book, when you sign up for that trial, please go to www.audibletrial.com slash business growth. As always continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.